St. Patrick's Day to everyone here. And you notice Paul's shot went in at 12.02 on St. Patrick's Day. So maybe there was a little bit of karma there. If there's a better game in the NCAA tournament, I got to see it. That was an unbelievable college basketball game. And they're really good and tough and fearless. And I'm really proud of our group because we just kept hanging in. And that's Notre Dame fighting Irish head coach Mike Bray after the game. And it was a phenomenal game. 89-87 in double overtime. You heard that game right here on ESPN Radio 1017, the team. And now we're being joined by the guy that brought you the call on the radio last night for that 89-87 victory. That's Tony Simeone. We've had him on before. And, uh, Tony, my goodness, man, I know you had a hectic last 12 hours. I mean, you're calling a game in Dayton. Now you're in San Diego. Let's talk about that game. Uh, uncharacteristically, uh, the Fighting Irish were not successful from the free throw line, and things didn't go exactly their way, but they're able to get the double overtime victory. Talk to me, Tony. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, as you said, it was, uh, it's been a crazy 24 hours here. Uh, traveling from Dayton, and I think I just listened to Mike Bray uh, talk about how he's not sure there's a better game in the tournament. I don't think you'll see a better game in the tournament this year. If we do, it'll be incredible, because last night was I think the best basketball game I've certainly been at in person, definitely the best game I've been able to call. Uh, as you said, free throws, uh, you know, they didn't shoot them particularly well. It never really came back to bite them uh, deep in the game. Prentice Hub did a couple big free throws late to give him a three-point lead. Uh, and it was important that he hit those because Ron Harper Jr. then hit the three right after that uh, that tied the game before the Irish scored that final basket. But I think just, um, you know, this time of year, uh, the games like that <laughs> seemingly happen more often than during the regular season. And it was just incredible, I think, to watch Notre Dame uh, for the first time in that, you know, for this group to be in that environment they really answered the call in a way that i think impressed a ton of people not just around the program but around the country no doubt about it and in the post-game interviews tony like everybody at the desk there uh was saying that at different times they had written off the other team like four or five different times uh, the emotional swings uh the big baskets on both sides uh tony uh, like you said it'll be hard to duplicate it um so like let's get into you know now obviously they're on uh to alabama um alabama six seed uh, notre dame and 11 seed uh it's going to be played kind of in the middle of the day tomorrow uh so take us through like what your guys's schedule was like you know getting wrapped up there at, in dayton probably didn't get out of there till 1 30 or so in the morning uh, a charter to san diego take us through that tony yeah so the game ended uh, as everyone pointed out on st patrick's day today uh a little bit after midnight uh, i would say the team got out of the arena a little bit after 12 30 Pretty sure we were wheels up on the flight at 2, uh, 2 a.m. Eastern time, which is then uh, 11 o'clock, of course, San Diego time. We touched down around 3.30 in San Diego. I think everyone got to the hotel around 4.30 and made their way to bed probably around 4.30 or 5. And then I've seen most people up today milling around, just kind of uh, acclimating to San Diego. The team hasn't done anything. What they'll do is they'll actually go here in about 45 minutes to the arena uh, for media, because this is now, of course, a Friday site tomorrow, so all the other uh, seven teams that have been planning to play their first game of the tournament tomorrow have been here. It's open practices today, media as well. So Notre Dame will go through that. And then they've got the second game tomorrow, which is at 115 local 
4.15 Eastern. Um, and so they're just going to practice today and then turn it around tomorrow uh, and play. It's kind of, you know, it's that time of year where you don't get a ton of prep. you got to turn around. Obviously, playing double overtime and then having to fly, uh, you know, fatigue will be something that we'll have to monitor tomorrow. But at this time of year, at the stage these guys are all at in their career and, and their youth, uh, I think will help them to get ready to, to play what will be a really difficult game tomorrow against Alabama. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, the one advantage of playing this first four game, Tony, though, is you know who your opponent is. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, so obviously they weren't waiting on the winner of anybody else. Their focus was on Rutgers, and it had to be. Uh, you know, look at what Rutgers has done the last, you know, six weeks of the season, the teams that they had beaten. So obviously that was uh, in front of them. But at the same time, they knew if they won that game, who they would have to be preparing for. So I'm sure one of the, the coaches on the the staff has already had that kind of scout in mind, and they started educating these players uh, right after the game about the uh, the opponent, Alabama, Tony. Yeah, I saw um, that did not believe they had computers out. They were diving into film, uh, putting together a scouting report, as you know, because they, they knew who the opponent would be. Uh, I imagine some of that was taking place, like you alluded to, before Rutgers, so it's not surprising. They've known that it's going to be if you get through Rutgers, you get Alabama. So I don't know if, um, you know, preparing for Alabama will be difficult. I think the biggest thing to monitor tomorrow is what do the first 10 minutes look like? Because uh, the, the two factors of, again, you just played 50 minutes. For instance, Cormac Ryan from Notre Dame played 46 of those 50 minutes. Uh, I was looking at the box score earlier. Tons of guys played upwards uh, of 40. Prentice Hub, Blake Wesley, Cormac Ryan all played more than 40. So how does your body bounce back? I mean, also, I think there's an element, and I'm sure Mike Bray will, will obviously, he's been through this plenty. This team is not. There's an element of where last night was such an, uh, just an electric win. You know, there's a world in which you can kind of just maybe settle for that and be satisfied, and, and that's your, your one shining moment into a team might not be able to get back up for the next game. Now, they've all said all the right things since the game went final. They were adamant. You know, they're not done They've got their, you know, focus on winning this game and then winning Sunday as well. But there's just a natural element of after a win like that, you always have to monitor the team the next time they play. How do they start the next game? Because the emotion that went into last night's game, uh, I think it would just be naive to think that that's not going to possibly play any factor in the early portions of tomorrow's game. Tony Simeone with us on ESPN Radio 101.7, the team, the radio play-by-play voice for the Notre Dame men's basketball team. You heard him last night with the double overtime win over Rutgers, and you'll hear him again tomorrow afternoon, 2.15 Mountain Time, uh, for the uh, second-round game with the Alabama Crimson Tide, 6 versus 11. Again, that's all here on ESPN Radio 101.7, the team. It's, it's so fitting, Tony. You call it an electric win for Notre Dame. Nothing, uh, Nothing's allowed to be easy for these guys. I mean, when uh, The last time we talked to you, uh, towards the end of the regular season, hard to imagine that they would have been in that spot in the first place playing in Dayton, and then the game gets delayed because of a power outage in the one before that, and then a, a double overtime game, so a long night for those guys, uh, but so so just kind of, you know, pay, so uh, what was going on uh, while while they were waiting a little bit extra time? I mean, that, that's a case, you know, you can kind of get in your head about things, but just what was going on during that time when everybody was waiting around? Yeah, I don't think it actually played that much of a factor because they did get it sorted out uh, kind of between the two games. My understanding is they went to like a backup generator in the building. Uh, the lights did go out briefly. I want to say around like 22 minutes on the, the pregame clock as they were warming, warming up again. 
But once they came back on after that, it really didn't affect them. And I think because the the warm up was so abbreviated, you know, during the regular season, they warm up for like, let's say they're on the floor maybe ninety minutes before, and they're going on and off doing different stuff. So much of their warm up is uh, you know, synthesized down to just these 26 minutes on the floor that the extra couple of minutes they sorted that stuff out may have actually uh, been a benefit to some players who wanted to get a few more shots up. So it, it didn't play a factor. I was worried, though, when it was all happening because the the, status, the, the biggest thing to me was the lights that kept flickering. Uh, they were just getting that game prior uh, between Wright State and Bryant, I think, to the clubhouse because it was a 14-point game with maybe four minutes left. But I don't think there was any way they could start the next game between Notre Dame and Rutgers if they were having those power issues. So, fortunately, they got it fixed, and it didn't really delay the game too much. Uh, and I think it didn't affect the game in any way. And, and it's a good thing, because we saw an awesome game last night as a result. It would have been a shame if somehow something else in the building uh, played a factor. Well, and it was good to see that it, it didn't play much of a factor for Notre Dame. As we're seeing the, the trends, we're, we're being reintroduced to you know the trends of and the game flows of how these go in, in the NCAA tournament when teams aren't that familiar with each other, Notre Dame, a, a team that when they're shooting twos the way that they did last night, you know, a game like that's going to happen. They're they're going to keep themselves in it. So, what was you know what were you know one or two of the things that stood out to you as far as the you know the first ten minutes of you know getting yourself acclimated into that game, that environment, and and how it played out from there? Yeah, I think that that was my biggest point of curiosity going in is that nobody had played in the tournament except for Paul Atkinson when he was at Yale. Um, even though these guys are extremely experienced, there's almost more pressure on a team like that that hasn't made it when they were younger uh, because they've, they've really probably built up the tournament to mean something even greater than it is, and it is great on its own. Uh, and I thought they were really calm right away. I thought they were really poised the entire night. They never felt, never felt like the moment was too big for them. Uh, they were not defending well in the first half, but I, but I think that's usually a better sign if they're executing offensively uh, they've shown, except for maybe against Virginia Tech this year, who might be just the team that has their number, that they have improved defensively. And so even though they weren't defending well, the fact that they were being, they were able to get their basket, they had 58 points in the paint last night. I think it said a ton about how this team uh, refused to kind of settle for three-pointers. They only made six of 19 from three, but they just continued to attack the paint uh, pretty relentlessly. And I think that's what impressed me most, is that they recognized where they could go make some hay, and they did not settle uh, for threes, which I think is easy to do when you get late in the game. Uh, but they, they stuck with it. Uh, and I think it just showed that all, all the stuff we talked about throughout the year, you know, this veteran team, they've been in close games late. Mike Bray's been adamant that that's going to pay off down the stretch. I think he was proven right because they had to make so many late game decisions on the fly, and seemingly every time they made the right call. Well, let's hope he makes uh, the right call again tomorrow. Again, uh, Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. 145 Mountain is the pregame show. Uh, 215 is the scheduled tip as the 11th-seeded Notre Dame Fighting Irish take on the 6th-seeded Alabama Crimson Tide. And, uh, Tony, a lot of Notre, Notre Dame fans down here, I'm telling you. And uh, rave reviews uh, for the broadcast, Tony. We really, really enjoy listening to you and can't wait for tomorrow thank you for joining us here on espn radio in uh, albuquerque here tony yeah I, I appreciate you guys saying that um it's been a blast to obviously cover this team this year i think that uh, when you get a game like the one last night you just hope that you're able to kind of hold up for the moment because what i think really what both teams did last night and you can't undersell Rutgers. they hit some incredible shots and i think just it was really special to be in that building 
uh, in March in a tournament that I think we all know is special. Both teams really delivered uh, in the biggest way. So I'm hoping for more uh, tomorrow, and uh, I do appreciate all those fans that tune in. You betcha, and we'll be listening tomorrow again. Thank you so much. Tony Simone, he's the play-by-play voice for the Fighting Irish at Notre Dame. Terrific job. 145 is the pregame, 215 is the scheduled tip. Uh, all right, so we're going to let Tony go. When we come back, we're going to talk to the associate head coach for the UCLA Brewings. Darren Savino is joining us. They have a game tonight against Akron. They're in Portland. We talked to Darren throughout the tournament last year. They get to the Final Four. We're going to talk to him here this afternoon as they embark on uh, hopefully a return to the Final Four, I'm sure, uh, for UCLA Bruin fans. All right, you're listening to Team Talk live from Hooters West Side, Alameda, just west of Coors. Uh, it's starting to fill up a little bit, but there's still plenty of room. Uh, all the games are on. By the way, Gonzaga up 23 points with 40 seconds to go. And uh, in the other game, North Carolina up by 32 against Marquette with under a minute to go. Uh, so um, it uh, looks as if that uh, those games, like, uh, you know, the Gonzaga game was a tie game with a minute le- or 11 minutes left. Uh, now they've got it up to 23 uh, here and uh, are cruising over the 16 seed Georgia State. Uh, but the 8 9 matchup between North Carolina and Marquette, uh, blowout city, North Carolina, 95. To 63. All right, when we come back, Darren Savino, associate head coach, UCLA, joins us next. ESPN Radio, 1017 The Team.